Hello everyone. Shortly after our arrival at the Tipton Children's Home, my father began preaching at a small church in Chattanooga, about 35 miles away. At nine years old, about three years after our arrival in Tipton, our family actually moved to this small town where our dad was preaching. We lasted for less than nine months before returning to Tipton. Uh, this small church could not afford to support a family of seven. So my dad continued to drive back and forth each Sunday preaching at Chattanooga. Now, that following summer, I returned to Chattanooga for a little, little league baseball game. And following the game, our team entered the local grocery store where each of us had 25 cents to spend on candy. After paying for my candy, I was walking around the store when I was grabbed by the collar. The owner, Hank, accused me of stealing candy. Hey, aren't you that preacher's kid from down the street? Why did you steal my candy? I was terrified. I had paid for my candy. I, I didn't do anything wrong. Why, why would he even think that I had stolen candy? Sir, sir, I did pay for my candy. No, you didn't. It seemed like an eternity before the lady who checked me out vouched for me. Hey, Hank, Hank. He already paid for his candy. Leave the kid alone. I was horrified and scared, almost in tears. What would make Hank jump to such conclusions? Why would he even think I would steal anything in the first place? I, I never figured that out. But Hank did what many of us do. He jumped to conclusion without giving another the benefit of the doubt. And I know there's probably not a person in this room or watching this who has ever done that. Right? In fact, we are all guilty of doing the same thing. We assume something about another's beliefs, about their experiences, about their behavior, without any prior knowledge of that person. And we make denunciations, whether publicly or privately. We stereotype and categorize them. And we've all done it. We've all done it. And it's, disc it's discrimination. It's bias. It's, it's judgmentalism. And it leads to mental and physical stress. And it can ruin people's lives. Okay, so I have one verse to cover this week. Just, just one. It's a very important and well-known verse. It's Matthew 7, verse 12. It's the golden rule, as we have titled it. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. <laughs> such a great verse. Such a difficult verse. There's a lot required, required of Jesus' followers if we're to live out our Savior's instruction. It's not easy. It's often complicated and requires a resolve for which most of us are unprepared. Okay, so, so what if? What if we turn Jesus' saying on its head? What if we made it read the exact opposite? What if we looked at the darker side of this, more, more in line with our culture? In other, in other words, how would the evil prince of this world twist Jesus' golden rule? Do you think it would go something like this? Whatever I do to others, I expect nothing of the sort in return. Hey, this is the way of the world. I dish it out, but I'm not going to take it. In fact, I'll retaliate. 
Is this not how our world operates? I can say anything to another individual without consequences, written or spoken. I can make judgments and treat them with ill will. And we've never had a face-to-face conversation with that person. Never gotten to know them. But we would never accept that treatment from another. Jesus' words sting. And they convict us. Because if we're going to live out the gospel of Jesus, how we act and speak to others matters. It matters. Our thoughts And our hidden motives about others matter. Our biases and prejudices matter. And our Savior is expecting us to be different in the way we act and think toward others, toward all people. We will all disagree from time to time with others. I I get that. I mean, we all have differences of opinion. And there's nothing wrong with that. It would be rare for all of us to come at a topic from the same angle. Differences of opinion are common, and they are expected. But what is uncommon is the way in which we ought to respond. How I respond, how you respond. And if I'm going to follow the words of Jesus, my treatment of those who are different, who hold another viewpoint, who do not look like me, those who have a different political bent or even hold different religious beliefs, the way I treat them matters. Whatever you wish that others do to you, whatever you strongly desire others do to you, do also to them. But James, what if they treat me badly? What if I'm maligned? What if I'm slandered? What if I'm bad-mouthed and criticized? Am I just to stand there and take it? Well, here's a question. How did Jesus respond to those who accused him, who maligned him and slandered him? Well, listen to this verse. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Okay, so tell me, why was Pilate amazed? Why was he so astonished by Jesus' actions? Because, because accused people do not respond like Jesus. That was what Pilate knew. By nature, accused people fight back. We return evil for evil. It's it's the nature of our being. It's that fleshly side in us, the natural man in us who wants to fight back, to lash out when others treat us with contempt. And yet Christ expects his followers to operate differently in action and in thought. If you are insulted, For the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Okay, okay, but James, James, I'm not Jesus, okay? Why should I be expected to act the same as him? Is not the student to be like the teacher? Is not the servant to be like the master? You're right. 
We are not Jesus. But we're supposed to strive to be like him. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Okay, here's an interesting thought. I know you know this, but loving God begins internally. Loving God is to be the passion of our souls. Loving God is is confined in the heart and is visible. It's visible through our good deeds. Loving God expresses itself most in our love for others. Loving others is the outward manifestation, the visible expression, the practical demonstration of the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's a manifestation of the true nature of one's heart. But it says we love God by showing mercy, empathy, and compassion to those right in front of us. Those who are standing, whoever it is, those standing in front of us deserve God's kindness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion, and God's love. No matter how they treat us, those right in front of us are to see Jesus in us. If there's one place in Scripture where one can experience this depth of love for those in front of us, the depth of the golden rule as told by Jesus, it would be the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Okay, so let me, instead of reading it, let me paraphrase from Luke 10, this parable. A man is traveling to Jerusalem, and as he journeys, he encounters robbers. He's stripped, and he's beaten. He's left half dead, this Jewish man, okay? By chance, a priest comes down the road, sees him, but does nothing. Okay, then a Levite saw the injured victim. He also passed by. Then a Samaritan, one who was hated by the Jews, has compassion on the man, binds up his wounds, takes him to an inn where he pays for his stay and his convalescence. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Would you not expect someone to stop and help you if you were in trouble? I mean, and if they didn't stop, would you not expect someone to turn around after their conscience burned? But aren't we often like the priest and the Levite who passed by? Are we not the same? How many times have we thought, I should have, I ought to have, I probably could have. And when ourself is, you know, poked by another, a coworker, a family member, a close friend, or your spouse, someone gets your goat, and we look back on that at the aftermath of that interaction and how it went so badly, and we say, I should have. I ought to have. I probably could have. Brothers and sisters, there is a reason for our lack of Christ-likeness. We avoid ourselves. No, seriously. Rarely do we stop and take an internal look into our own heart. We're unwilling to do spiritual surgery on ourselves. We have this gap between who we are and who we ought to be. 
And this gap is broadened when we even compare ourselves to the light of our Savior Jesus Christ, right? And most of us see the gap. But changing is difficult. Changing means looking into the nature and character of our souls. And when we look into these deep recesses of our hearts, we often don't like what we see. And we know changing means turning ourselves over to God and allowing Him to work on us. And if we truly want to complete the transformation, it may even mean asking another person to assess me, to reveal those underlying conditions of my soul, which I'm unaware, those conditions of my heart, which others see in me, especially those in my committed circle of love. On one hand, we know what we ought to do, we know we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I know that I'm supposed to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than myself. I know I'm supposed to let each, each of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm supposed to have this mind amongst myself, which is, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. I know what I ought to do. I know what I ought to do. But let me ask you a general question. How many of us thought we'd be further along in our journey of faith than we are right now? Now, don't raise your hand right now. Let me ask you again. How many of us, be honest, thought we would be further along on our faith journey than we are right now. Anybody? Yeah, most of us. And when it comes to the golden rule, how we see ourselves and our Heavenly Father, it directly attributes to the way we see others. All right, let me give you two ingredients to help us move toward being formed into the image of Christ. And I'm going to use James chapter 1, verse 25 as our text, but I'm going to start back at verse 22. Okay, so just listen to these words. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, so did you see the two people in this passage? Yeah, the two different people. The one who looks in the mirror, goes away, forgets what he is like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and he is blessed because he acts and does not forget what he is like. So the one that looks away doesn't really like what he sees and the one that is trying to see himself as he is. So here are the two aspects of moving into the different phases of one spiritual walk. Two aspects of growing in our relationship to our Father and to each other. Two aspects of living out the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Okay, here's the first one. The first one is reflection. Reflection. But the one who looks into the perfect law, 
That's when one reflects on the perfect law. When one, when one looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When we look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of faith, as Paul puts it, the law of Christ, it changes us. The law of Christ is formed out of the Sermon on the Mount. All the letters in the New Testament, all the letters in the New Testament refer back to the Sermon on the Mount and help us better understand its content. This law of Christ, it changes us. It changes us. In Christ, we are new people. We have been redeemed. We have been adopted. We have been raised with Jesus. We have been found holy and blameless in Christ. We are adopted as sons, forgiven of our trespasses, and experience the riches of his grace as we see in Ephesians chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, when I look into the perfect law of liberty, I am seen by God as one who is forgiven, grace, loved. I'm a faithful servant. This is how God sees me now, and I don't understand it. I don't. I can't quite grasp how a loving Savior, a loving God, can see me in such light when I'm a sinner, when I fail and treat others the way I do, especially those in my committed circle of love. But Jesus, our Father, is looking at us through the law of liberty. It's the law of grace forgiveness and redemption and salvation. By faith, my sins are washed in the blood of Christ. And when I see myself in such light, that which I truly do not deserve, I must learn to see others as God sees me. I want to give others this same gift, and I want to do that for all people. The problem lies in our blind spot. Yeah, the, our blind spot, those areas in our lives which inform our feelings and our reactions to others, those areas in our lives where prejudices and discrimination lies, where judgmental and disparaging remarks are found, often deep in our subconscious, are so, and they just come out. I've told this story before. I, I grew up in a small town where prejudices and discrimination were part of the fabric of our community. There were those who lived on one side of the track and those who lived on the other side of the track. And our Christian community treated people of color differently. There were prejudice found deep into the, in the fabric of our community, our church, and our leadership. And the golden rule only applied to those of the same kind. Many in that little church had a blind spot. Now, it's not like that now. The church has changed by the grace of God, and it took an acknowledgment of one's biases and preconceptions before change could occur. Brothers and sisters, if God can change the hearts of some of those individuals, as he did, he can change us too. Therefore, we are not ones who forget. We persevere and do. Because of the law of liberty, I can reflect on the grace, mercy, and love gifted me. And I'm happy and thrilled to extend this gift to others, to all people. Which brings me to my second point. I respond. Okay, so look at verse 25 again in James chapter 1. 
but the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The golden rule is about extending to others the same treatment, the same behavior, the same conduct we wish others would extend to us in all circumstances. And when we look intently into the perfect law of liberty and reflect on who we are, we act. We do not forget the gift of salvation extended to us by grace. We do not forget the blessings our Heavenly Father has showered upon us. Brothers and sisters, our response to those people who are right in front of us requires a level of empathy and compassion. Yeah, on that empathy level, (laughs) mine hasn't been that great in my life. I keep saying I'm not where I used to be, but I'm also not where I want to be. And empathy, empathy is one of those things I have a hard time giving even to my children when they were growing up. And it's hard to admit that when you're a minister and you're supposed to soothe the hearts and burdens of others and offer wisdom and guidance and compassion. And so I've worked on my empathy over the years. And here are a couple of things I've learned about empathy. Empathy is the ability to respond to other people's emotions appropriately. And that word appropriately is key, is it not? So huge. I do not have the right to deny the feelings and emotions of others. Just get over it. Now, that's not a proper response, nor an appropriate one. Another's feelings and emotions are not mine to determine, but mine to explore with the permission of that individual. And here's the second thing. Empathy is the ability to feel what another person feels. We're to see through their eyes, the eyes of another. We're to listen with the ears of another, and we're to feel with the heart of another. There's a quote attributed, I forget who it is, but it's, it's an excellent quote. Empathy is about finding echoes of another person in yourself. If empathy is to be extended, one needs to find a part of that person inside oneself. Okay, here's the next one. Empathy is the ability to understand someone's response to a situation. I must place myself in their shoes and strive vicariously to experience their circumstances. How easy it is to believe that all people are to think, act, and be like me. Yeah, and that would be very scary. <laughs> but, but let me remind you, empathy is the feeling of awareness toward another's plight. Well, compassion is one's response to those feelings. Lake Home of the Golden Rule is about seeing others from a different perspective. We see others as image bearers of the King. We see others as ones created in the image of God. We see others through lenses given us by our Savior who walked in this world with compassion. And we see others as God sees us. How can we treat others with contempt when God sees us the way he sees us? All right, here's some things we can learn from Jesus about how to be better at this. Number one, everyone has a story. 
Peter and his betrayal of Jesus, Paul and his persecution of the Christians, everyone has a story. And learning those stories helps us respond as we would want to be treated. Because I want people to know my story. And if everyone knew my story as I know my story, you would like me. Everyone has a story. All right, next. Everyone has a past. It, just think about Matthew, the tax collector, and his past. Think about all the demon-possessed individuals Jesus healed and their past. We all have a past. And Jesus came to redeem us from our past, to create a new future in him. I praise God for that, don't you? Okay, next. Be curious. If we're going to treat people as Jesus treated people, be curious. Okay, so think of Nicodemus. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well. See, being curious about another, one's curiosity of others, is a key ingredient in living out the golden rule, treating them as you would like to be treated. Okay, next. Show no partiality. Did you realize that this was said of Jesus? Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. How cool would it be if this were said of us? We speak rightly, we teach rightly, and we show no partiality. Wow! I mean, how different would that be? And then last, all right, be kind. Be kind. True kindness lies in the act of generosity toward another. Being kind is permission for another to engage. The golden rule is simple to understand. So difficult to implement on a consistent basis. And it doesn't help. I know it doesn't help that the world is watching how we as Christians treat each other. You're probably not aware of this, but our world has preconceived ideas of Christians. I know. It's hard to believe. But like Hank, this world has stereotyped and labeled Christians. We're considered judgmental, arrogant, hateful, intolerant, mean, narrow-minded, hypocritical, and annoying. Now, it would be fantastic if all these were untrue. But are they? And we wonder why so many individuals have these preconceived ideas of Christians. But what if? What if we treated all people, all believers, non-believers, with the golden rule as our guide? What if we did to others what we would have them do to us? Would it change the world? Would it change the preconceived notions one has of a Christian. Jesus ends Matthew 7 verse 12 with these words. This sums up the law and the prophets. If we take all the scriptures, all the law, the law, history, poetry, prophecy, all the old covenant, Jesus says it can all be boiled down into one phrase. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It's a pretty simple idea which requires profound understanding and tenacious resolve. 
Why don't we give it a try? Maybe, just maybe, we can change the world's perception of Christianity starting right here in Mustang, Oklahoma. I love you all. May God bless you. And may God's face shine upon you.